Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Alpine Church. It's great to be back in Syracuse, Syracuse with you guys this morning. Good to see you here. And I recognize at this time of year, there's, there's probably a few people who maybe made a, a New Year's resolution to get back to church. So maybe you're here for the first time in a while, or, or maybe you're here for the first time ever. And if that's true, we're so excited that you're with us. We're just grateful that you're here. Uh, we, we hope that we're able to help you pursue God today. That really is our goal here at Alpine Church. My name's John Bellis. I'm the lead pastor up at the Alpine Logan campus, and then I also get the opportunity to teach at other campuses about once every month, and it's good to be back in Syracuse today. I'm excited to dig into God's Word. Uh, today we're in the second week of our sermon series where we're exploring the Gospel of Mark. So last week we kind of set up the series by introducing you to the book. We talked about its author. We talked about its original audience. We saw that Mark is a book that has a very fast pace. It's filled with action. It emphasizes the deeds of Jesus. And last week, we only looked at Mark 1.1. So if you missed it, you're not very far behind. You're going to be able to catch up real quickly with us today. And today, we're going to cover a few more verses than that. We're going to look at verses 2 through 8 in Mark chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles with you or have your Bible up on your phone and you want to follow along, feel free to go to Mark 1. And we're going to see that today's verses are all about John the Baptist. Now, when you hear John the Baptist, what comes to your mind? Do you think of this crazy guy out in the desert eating grasshoppers? Probably got a scraggly beard and and wild hair. I've always had kind of a special admiration for John the Baptist. Because I think he is the epitome of someone who is comfortable in his own skin. He knew exactly who he was. And he knew exactly what God had called him to do, and he didn't let anything get in the way of that. Now, I'm sure I don't do it nearly as well as he did, but that's always been important to me. Like, I, I want to be known as a person who knows who he is, who knows who God created me to be, and, and knows what God has called me to do, and doesn't try to impress people that I'm something special or that I'm something that I'm not. I also have a connection with John the Baptist in my name. I grew up in a little rural town in Florida, and I went to a Southern Baptist church, and then in high school, I moved to Utah, and I went to a high school. There was only three students in the whole high school who weren't members of the predominant religion here, and so pretty quickly, I got the nickname John the Baptist from most of my teammates on the football team. John the Baptist also almost got me kicked out of vacation Bible school when I was a kid. I was attending a vacation Bible school at another church. It was a different denomination, and in one of the lessons, the teacher was reading a passage about John the Baptist, and she kept saying, John the Baptizer. Now, at 10 years old, I knew very little about humility and tact, so after about four times, I couldn't take it anymore. I go, do you mean John the Baptist? And that didn't go over too well in that little Methodist church, so she didn't kick me out, though. She was gracious and patient with me. But as we get into the passage, it doesn't really matter what I think about John the Baptist, But I do think we should consider what Jesus thought about John the Baptist. Here's what Jesus said about him in Matthew chapter 11. He said, John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth of all who ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. That's a pretty powerful statement by Jesus, and that's the same John the Baptist we're going to dig into today. Jesus confirms that John the Baptist is the one 
who was prophesied about in the Old Testament that would come and prepare the way for the Lord. And we see as Mark opens up his gospel, he makes that same connection to the Old Testament prophecy. And as we dig into the text this morning, I want you to stop and think about the following question. What is God doing in your life to prepare you to encounter Jesus? We're only a week into 2023, but I'll bet some of you have already been surprised. Some of you have already been shocked. There's already things going on in your life that are hard to handle, and you're wondering, what is the purpose of this? I would just ask you to consider that maybe God is using it to prepare you to encounter Jesus. So let's dig into Mark chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. It says, It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. And when we see that phrase, a voice shouting in the wilderness, we might think that that strictly refers to the fact that John didn't go into the synagogues. And John spent most of his time out in the desert. But for the Jewish nation, the word wilderness had a history to it. It had a context to it. It's a lot deeper than what we probably just read. So if you remember back when the Israelites were freed from Egypt, they spent 40 years in the wilderness. And so for the Jewish culture, wilderness was synonymous with discipline and with disobedience. And they didn't spend 40 years in the wilderness because the journey took that long. The journey should have taken less than two weeks. They spent 40 years in the wilderness because of their disobedience and because of their lack of faith. And as they were getting ready to enter the promised land, finally, after those 40 years, Joshua says the following about the wilderness in Joshua 5, 6. It says, The Israelites had traveled in the wilderness for 40 years until all the men who were old enough to fight in battle when they left Egypt had died. For they had disobeyed the Lord, and the Lord vowed he would not let them enter the land he had sworn to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. See, in a sense, the time in the wilderness was also a time of purification. God needed to do some things in the hearts of the Israelites before they were able to enter the land he had set aside for them. One of the things he was trying to do was show them that their disobedience had consequences. Because there were going to be consequences if they disobeyed him once they entered the promised land. And if you know anything about the story, you know that once they entered the promised land, they did in fact disobey God over and over and over again. And eventually, they had to face the consequences. Eventually, God lived up on his promises. And at a time when Israel was facing some of those consequences, the prophet Isaiah spoke about the coming Messiah And he spoke about the one who was going to come ahead of him to prepare the way. And we read about that in Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah says, listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed And all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. So we fast forward from this prophecy in Isaiah to the time of John the Baptist. And we see that Israel is still in the wilderness. Not literally, not physically. 
They've returned from exile. They're in Israel, but spiritually, they're in the wilderness. Spiritually, they're just kind of playing the part. They're far from God. Now, they were all about religiosity. From the outside looking in, many of them were obeying the rules. Many of them were following the traditions. But inside, they were still rebellious. And they again needed a time of purification. Jesus' coming is imminent. In fact, he's, he's on the earth already as John the Baptist has his ministry. And Jesus' ministry is about to start. And God sends someone to prepare the way. Because as a nation, they weren't honoring him. And I read this and I think, man, so much of this sounds familiar to our country right now. We have a lot of nominal Christians, a lot of people who are Christian by tradition, but they're not really pursuing Jesus. They don't really have a relationship with him. They're certainly not letting him be the authority in their lives. And I think that's even shrinking day by day, even the nominal part of it. See, God had been paving the way for Jesus for centuries. We saw it all the way back in Isaiah. But now that Jesus' ministry is on the horizon, he's about to begin, God sends this special messenger. And he's going to level the hills and the mountains. He's going to straighten out the curves, and he's going to smooth off the rough edges. That sounds like a lot of work. That sounds painful from a spiritual sense. Right? If, if you have rough edges that God needs to smooth out in your life, think about the force and the friction and the power that sometimes God has to use to do that. I remember when I first moved to Logan, Sardine Canyon was still a two-lane highway. That's how old I am. And I remember when they started turning it into a four-lane and they were dynamiting. And when they would dynamite Sardine Canyon, they would just close off the whole thing. You had to go around through Tremont to get anywhere. That's how much power and force and friction it takes to level the hills, to fill in the valleys, to straighten out the curves. Now, John the Baptist wasn't leveling literal mountains, obviously, to prepare the way for Jesus. He wasn't straightening out the dirt roads of his time, but he was clearing away in the spiritual wilderness that Israel was stuck in. I think it's cool that God does some of his most amazing work in the wilderness. That's sometimes where God really shows up. I would imagine in a room this size that some of you feel like you're in the wilderness right now. Some of you are experiencing some of that force and friction and you're wondering what in the world is God up to? Maybe you need an encounter with Jesus. Maybe God is preparing the way for you to meet him. Or maybe you've met Jesus in the past, but you need a fresh encounter. If that describes you, I would just ask you to ask yourself, like, what needs to be leveled in my life? What boulders need to be cleared? Is it pride? Greed? A lack of faith? Maybe it's an addiction? And I'm not saying that every time we feel like we're in the wilderness, it's because of sin. It's not. Sometimes it's just because we live in a broken world. But sometimes it is because of our disobedience, just like it was with the nation of Israel. The Bible teaches us God disciplines those he loves. So if you're feeling that discipline, it's because God loves you. It's because God is trying to draw you back. So let him use that time to smooth out those rough spots. Let him use that time to straighten out those curves. And if you're not in the wilderness today, praise God. That's awesome. Who do you know that is? So I'll guarantee you, every one of us knows someone in our lives who's in the wilderness. We know someone who needs to meet Jesus. We should be preparing the way 
for them to meet Jesus. Because God may not be calling us to be a voice shouting like he did John the Baptist, but I guarantee you God is calling us to be a voice. It might be a whispered prayer with someone. It could be an invitation to a small group, to a Sunday service, to a mentoring relationship. It might be a thought-provoking question you ask your buddy at work. Or maybe it's a gentle conversation where you speak truth and love. But God is calling all of us in here to be a voice. For any of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, we have access to the greatest news that's ever been told. We're supposed to tell it. We're supposed to be a voice. And as we see from the story of John the Baptist, if you think, well, I don't think God's calling me to be a voice, God uses all types of messengers. John was a pretty unique messenger. John the Baptist was a unique messenger who boldly spoke God's message. He didn't fit into polite circles because he wasn't about himself or his own reputation. And then Mark gives us a little insight in verse 6. He says, His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. You know, this time of year, I know a lot of people who are churchgoers that do the Daniel fast. How come nobody does the John the Baptist fast? Like, I would definitely lose some weight on that thing right there. I would drop some calories for sure. See, John wasn't pretentious at all. He wasn't worried about looking cool or being part of the in crowd. He wasn't worried about impressing people. His clothes were modest, but there's more to it than just their modesty. There's symbolism in his clothes. Because we see that these are the clothes of an Old Testament prophet. If we go back to 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 8, they're talking about Elijah. And it says, they answered him, he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And he said, that is Elijah the Tishbite. So John the Baptist wore similar clothes to Elijah. But it was more than just their clothes that were the same. They both had a great zeal for God. They both called out sin in the lives of the religious leaders and the political leaders of their time. Both of them had friction with the religious leaders and political leaders of their time. See, like Elijah, John spoke boldly and his bold truth-telling was not received favorably by the political leaders in his day. Because he called out sexual sin at the highest level. He called out King Herod. He noticed that the King Herod had taken his brother's wife and he called it out. We read about that in Mark chapter 6. For Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodias. She had been his brother Philip's wife, but Herod had married her. And John had been telling Herod, hey, it's against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife. John would eventually be beheaded for calling that sin out. I can't promise you that there won't be consequences when you and I are bold. I can only promise you that it'll be worth it. John didn't allow popular opinion or the power of other people to dictate what was right and wrong. He stood on God's truth and he called out sin. And he called out sexual sin to the highest level of government in the land at that time. And there was a consequence for it. Similarly, you and I need to stand on God's truth and we need to call out sin. Now, I'm not saying we should call out sexual sin more than others, but we shouldn't call it out any less. And we don't get to cherry pick which types of sexual sin we want to call out. Look, the Bible is clear. Anything outside the confines of marriage between a man and a woman is sin, including pornography. And I know that's not a very popular statement to make. 
Even in the church, that's less and less popular. God didn't call me into ministry to win any popularity contests. And I don't say that looking down from an ivory tower. I've had my own seasons of wilderness in this area in my life in the past. And God's forgiveness and grace are bigger than any mistake you may have made. But if you are living in sexual sin, you need to confess that and let God clear that boulder out of your life. Let him do something new and fresh. See, the Jewish people needed a bold messenger. They needed someone to get them out of their complacency. I am sure John came across a little edgy at times. I'm sure he ruffled some feathers. But in spite of all that, it says that many went out to see him. It wasn't just a handful. It wasn't just a few. And you might think that someone as eclectic as John, who was building this huge following, would get pretty prideful. But I love how John stayed humble throughout the whole thing. See, John always knew it was about someone greater than himself. He always knew it wasn't about him. He was preparing the way for someone greater than him. If you remember back to our Expecting Jesus series, when the angel Gabriel told John, hey, your wife Elizabeth is going to be, or excuse me, told Zechariah, your wife Elizabeth is going to become pregnant and you're going to name him John. He said he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even in the womb. So John had the Holy Spirit from the time he was in the womb. So he knew it wasn't about him. He had the Spirit's guidance, the Spirit's leading throughout that. In fact, he told the crowd, someone is coming soon who's greater than I am. In fact, so great, I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals. In that culture, it was the job of the lowliest servant or slave in the household to untie the sandals of the master and of the other members of the household. John said, I'm not even worthy to do that. John knew it was all about Jesus. And we see this cool interaction between John the Baptist and some of his disciples. Jesus was in the same area as John at that time, and and Jesus and his disciples are baptizing people in the Jordan, and so is John. And John's disciples come up, and they're all bent out of shape, and they go, more people are going to Jesus than are coming to you. And John says, that's what I've been saying the whole time. I've been telling you guys the whole time, it's not about me, it's about him. That he's got to become greater and greater, and I have to become less and less. What humility. Is that, that the attitude that we have? Like, Jesus, I want you to get greater and greater in my life, and I want to become less and less. Because that was a contrast to the religious leaders of John's time, right? They like to, to wear the flowing robes, and it says that they like to be seated at the most prominent places in the synagogue and at the places of honor at the feasts. And John the Baptist says, no, it's, it's not about me. It's all about the Messiah. It's all about Jesus. Have we allowed the demands of our lifestyle to get in the way of being on mission? Are we more concerned about the approval of men than we are in being faithful to do what God has called us to do? My prayer for you and my prayer for me is that we'd be bold. Again, bold doesn't mean loud. It doesn't mean brash. You can be bold and you can be gentle, but I pray that we'd be bold. We've talked about the significance of the wilderness. We've talked about the messenger. Let's wrap up by talking about the message. So John prepared the way by calling people to repentance, turning from a self-directed life to a God-directed life. And he challenged people to follow truth rather than tradition. And here's where we read that in Mark chapter 1. It says, This messenger was John the Baptist, and he was in the wilderness and preached 
that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. There's a lot of really cool stuff to unpack here just in these two verses. But I want to start with this statement that all the people of, of Judea, including the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. So you can bet as all those people are going out to hear John the Baptist that they went out for different reasons. Some of them had different motivations. Some of them, I'm sure, just went out of curiosity. They'd heard about this crazy prophet in the wilderness who was preaching this new message, and they thought, man, I want to hear it for myself. I want to go check it out. Some of them probably went to, to protest and ridicule him. Anytime you're calling out sin, you're going to have naysayers come out and, and want to argue with you over that. I would imagine some of them just went because everybody else was. Right? We tend to have that herd mentality. I don't want to be left out. If everybody else is going to see this guy, then, then maybe I better go check him out. But some of them, some of them were going because they were missing something. Because they had this hole in their spirit. They didn't have this connection with the God who had created them, and they recognized it. They recognized they drifted. And they were hoping that maybe what John was sharing would bring them back into relationship with God. Maybe one of those reasons feels familiar to you this morning. I recognize that even on a Sunday, you're all here for different reasons. Some of you may be here today because you're just curious. You're checking out Jesus and you're checking out Christianity. And, and if that's you, we're so glad you're here. Keep checking it out. Keep asking questions. Some of you might be here because you want to try and poke holes in Christianity. Some of you might be here because you were invited and you just didn't want to be rude. You felt like, man, if I say no, they'll be upset. But I'll bet some of you are here because you recognize you're missing something. You recognize there's something in your spirit, there's a longing you have that only a relationship with the God who created you can fill. And whatever reason you think you're here, I would submit that God is behind that and he's orchestrated it to draw you here. Because he loves you and he wants a relationship with you. And he wants to fill that desire that only he can fill. Next it says that John preached that people should be baptized to show they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. I want you to pay attention to the tense of those verbs. He said, I want people to be baptized to show that they had repented. That they had already turned to God to be forgiven. To the repentance happens before the baptism. Ba baptism doesn't forgive us. Baptism doesn't save us. We do baptism to show that we have repented. And this word repented is something that we probably never say outside of church. In your day-to-day -day life, how many times do you hear the word repent, right? Probably never. In the Bible, repent carries two different meanings, kind of two word pictures. The first in the Old Testament, it literally means you're going one way and you stop and you turn and you go the other way. That's repent in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the word that's most often translated repent is the Greek word metanoia. Metanoia means a changing of the mind. And keep in mind, in that culture, the mind was more than just what you logically compute things with. The mind was really the very center of your being. And so that's saying, I used to think about something one way, but now I think about it a different way. I used to have this perspective on something, but now I have God's perspective on it. That at, at my very center, at the, at the innermost part of my being, I've had a fundamental change on how I view things. 
And those two words together, or two definitions, the Old Testament and the New Testament, are a beautiful biblical picture of repentance. That it starts, first off, with a changing of my mind. It starts with a change in my perspective where I say, God, I, I used to look at this this way, but now I want to look at it your way. And because of that, I'm going to turn and go the other way. That's repentance. And the crazy thing is, is people responded to that message. They came out in droves. See, sometimes in our culture, we think that calling out sin and calling people to repent is judgmental or it's cruel. If someone has a terminal disease and you know the cure, the unloving thing is not to tell them they have a terminal disease. The unloving thing is to act like everything is okay. Sometimes we have to call out sin. This passage also shows that John preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented. They were doing this because there's something powerful when we publicly proclaim what's already happened inside. This is where our baptism as New Testament Christians is similar to John's baptism because there's some things that were different. Keep in mind, when John was baptizing believers, this was pre-Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead. So our baptism builds on John's baptism, but it's not the same. It's a little different. One of the areas where they're the same is the reason you and I step forward in baptism is because it's a way for us to publicly show what God has done in our lives, to publicly show that I've drawn a line in the sand. I was going this way, and now I'm going this way. I'm identifying with Jesus Christ. And think of the boldness that took for the people at that time. To go out in front of all the crowds who had gathered there and be baptized by John in the river, to admit I don't have it all together, to admit that even though I might be all about religiosity, I have sin in my life that needs to be forgiven. And there would have been consequences for that. That took courage. They would have been mocked by friends, family, and acquaintances in most cases. They could have faced financial consequences. They probably would have faced discipline by their religious leaders. It took guts for them to do that. And that may be the step of boldness that God is calling some of you to take. There may be some of you in here who you've put your faith in Jesus. You're trusting him for salvation, but you've never made that public. You've never drawn that line in the sand and said, hey, I want everyone here to know that I'm following Jesus now. And if that's the case, my question is, what's holding you back? Is it fear of ridicule? Fear of rejection? Maybe there's a relationship that you think will suffer. And look, guys, I don't want to minimize that. Those are all hard things. But Jesus gave everything for you. I think he deserves for us to give everything back to him. So if you have questions about baptism or if you want to take that step or just want to talk more about it, we'll have leaders up front afterwards. We'd love to have that conversation. We'd love to answer your questions. John says something then in verses 7 and 8 about how our baptism is different than his. And John 7 and 8 says, John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. So here's where it's different. John says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Again, John's pointing everything to Jesus. John's preparing the way for Jesus to come. And he says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Keep in mind, John has had the Holy Spirit since the womb. John knows the value of the Holy Spirit. 
He knows the sweetness of a relationship with the Holy Spirit. He knows the wisdom he gets from the Holy Spirit. He knows the conviction he gets from the Holy Spirit, and he wants that for people. So he says, I baptize you with water, but this is going to be something much greater. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's the promise that you and I have when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. As New Testament believers, you and I get baptized by the Spirit. The Spirit of God indwells us. And then as we nurture that relationship, as, as we learn to listen to the Spirit, we begin to see fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. No wonder John wanted people to receive Jesus' baptism instead of just a baptism by water. I want to end with, with one last passage for today. John 16, 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. Now, the, the he in this verse is the Holy Spirit. Jesus is talking. He's talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts us of sin. It's the Holy Spirit that softens our heart. If, if you're here today and you recognize when I was talking about that, that longing, that, that something that's missing in your heart, that's the Holy Spirit who's helping you to be aware of that. It's the Holy Spirit who's helping you to see that you followed your own thoughts, feelings, and opinions instead of what God has declared to be true. It's the Holy Spirit that will help you see the truth that we looked at last week. The truth that Mark kicked off his gospel with. That this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And it's good news because you and I can have all our sins forgiven. We can have a relationship with God, not only here on earth where we can have this full and abundant life, but we can have an eternal relationship with Him because of Jesus' finished work on the cross. And if you have questions about that or want to talk more about that, we would love to do that. For those of us who have already put our faith in Jesus, this is the question I'd like you guys to be asking yourself. How can God use you to prepare others to encounter Jesus? I'm going to close this in prayer. God's a big God. He can listen to all of us at once. So I want you to pray that prayer as I wrap up today. I want you to ask God, how can he use you to prepare the way for someone else to meet Jesus? Ask him to put a, ask him to put a name on your heart. Ask him to give you an opportunity this week to have a conversation where you get to be a voice that prepares the way for somebody to encounter Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the opportunity to be part of what you're doing. You don't need to use people to prepare the way, but for some reason you do. For some reason you choose to work through broken people like us and you choose to invite us to be a part of, of building your kingdom. And God, I, I don't know if anyone else in here feels convicted, but I just, I just confess that I haven't taken that call seriously all the time. Even though I'm in vocational ministry, there are days when I'm not thinking about preparing the way for Jesus. And I just ask you to forgive me of that, and I just pray that, that I'd be more intentional. I, I pray that on, you know, on, on Tuesday at the basketball game, I'd look for opportunities to prepare the way for Jesus, not just on Sundays or not just in small group or not just in mentoring. God, I want to lift up anyone here who has never put their faith in you. Anyone here today who maybe they came today because they were, they were missing something. They felt a longing. They felt like something was off, and that's you drawing them. And I just pray, God, that today would be the day they'd put their faith in you, that they would trust what Jesus did on the cross for them. And I ask all this in his holy name.
Amen.